Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. Well, as I've already mentioned, this Sunday is the first Sunday in the season of Lent, which began on Wednesday with Ash Wednesday. Uh, Lent is the season that is situated between the seasons of Epiphany, which is the revealing of Jesus and who Jesus is, and the season of Easter. Lent is a 40-day invitation to seriously consider Jesus' words in the opening Gospel of Mark. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. The invitation into a different kind of life, the invitation into saying yes to the availability of the different kind of life. Repent and believe in the good news. It's a season intended to be one of repentance, which as I've said, doesn't mean we are beating our heads against the floor, against the table, whatever hard surface you decide. It's not about beating ourselves up. It's not about making ourselves feel bad because repentance or metanoia means to reconsider, to rethink our thinking, to rethink our strategy for living, to rethink what some of the spiritual writers have called our project for happiness. We all have one and maybe it's the right one. The invitation at the heart of Lent is to think about it, to rethink it to turn and if needed, go in a new direction. Many of us no doubt are familiar with what has been called the cost of discipleship, which is certainly true. There is something costly to following Jesus, to take up our crosses, to deny ourselves and to follow him. But I think too this season of Lent in this context is also an invitation to consider the cost of no discipleship. Talk about the cost of discipleship, but to also consider the cost of non-discipleship. That if we give our no to Jesus, to consider what that means. And perhaps it's a, well, I believe in him, but I don't actually think he has anything to say about my actual lived experience. Whether you would say that out loud or not, certainly our lives may reflect that. But it's an invitation, again, in this season to go is, what's the cost? What's the trajectory? What does this mean for me, for my life? to consider the cost of saying no, to learn how to become a certain kind of person. It's what the psalmist is getting at this morning when the psalmist encourages us not to be stubborn like a horse or a mule. And this isn't just a don't be stubborn, but goes on, it doesn't have to be then led led around by bit and bridle, getting at the weakness of the will, that there actually is no power in willpower. It can work for a moment, but then ultimately goes away, that what Jesus longs for is not for us to have stronger willpower, but is to become the kind of people who instinctually do what Jesus did, becoming more and more the kind of people deep, deep in the deepest parts of us, in the well water of our lives, becoming the kind of people who've said yes to his kingdom. And that is at the heart of Lent. And so Lent begins almost always with this gospel reading of Jesus entering into the wilderness. Because just as Jesus enters into the wilderness for 40 days, Lent is modeled after 
Jesus's journey and another journey that we'll talk about for a few moments today. And this brings us to the first movement I wanna invite us to sit with. Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. There are two central stories at the heart of Lent. The first is this, Jesus's entry into the wilderness, but also the 40 years that the Hebrew people spend in the wilderness after the Exodus. Wilderness throughout all of scriptures have multiple layers of complex meaning. Sometimes it just means wilderness. Sometimes it's a place of negation and temptation. It's a place of perception and a place of preparation, a place of absence of human power, structure, and control. It's a place of encounter and transformation. And I wanna spend a few moments on the second story I mentioned that provides a context for this story this morning, which is the story of the people of God in the wilderness for 40 years after the Exodus. From some of the earliest writings within the church, Christians have found the story of the Exodus, both a representation of our redemption in Christ as well as a map to our inner life. From Moses' call to the people to leave the slavery of Egypt, to the Passover meal, to the flight to the Red Sea, the going down into what they feared and emerging as free people with their pursuers left behind them. And then the difficult but companioned journey through the wilderness toward a promised land, following the pillar cloud by day and the fire by night. This whole sequence was understood by the early church to show the pattern of the Christian life. That you and I are summoned by Christ to seek freedom from the slavery of power and then power of sin, death, and evil. It's the meaning behind Jesus' words, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. An invitation into a different kind of life has come near. Repent and believe the good news. It's Moses showing up and going, there's a different way. It doesn't have to be like this. The going down with Christ into the Red Sea of baptism that drowns our sin and sets us free. And then we enter into a pilgrimage with a lot of highs and a lot of lows. Learning that there is a way back to the garden we long for. We all have our own projects of how we're gonna get back to Eden, of how we're gonna find security and significance, love and healing and care. Everything we were created for, God doesn't look at those wants and desires and scoff at them. In God's gentleness and care, he placed those inside of us. One of the reasons why God is against sin is because he's for you. Knowing he created you for union and communion with the triune God. And we enter into this pilgrimage, into a new kind of life that's been offered by the boundless mystery that we have called God, a God who is Christ-like, a God who is ever-present and active, a God who is love. And this new kind of life, this way back to the garden, is abiding in and with this God, living in willingness to surrender to the union and communion offered. The practice of keeping Lent for 40 days before Easter became a way of walking with Jesus through a wilderness journey. 
itself participation in solidarity with the first great exodus. When God spoke to Moses from the burning bush, God tells Moses, I want to be with my people, to call them out unto myself. When Moses is with God on the top of the mountain, God goes, I wanna go down and be in the midst of my people. I wanna be with them. I want them to be with me. And come down, God did. And the one who would go into the wilderness and in whom we follow into the wild places. And so wherever we are in our wilderness journey, Lent is intended to remind us that we are not alone. We are with God and we are with God's friends. The good news of Jesus entering into the wilderness in this story is the truth that in this wilderness now, Christ walks with us, even as in keeping Lent, Holy Week, and Easter, we walk with him. And this brings us to our second movement, that the devil tempts Christ and then leaves Christ, and Christ is cared for by angels. I would argue that not only are we walking with Jesus in the wilderness, but part of being in the wilderness, one of the invitations of Lent is consenting to God's care and healing in the midst of the wilderness. Most of the time when we hear stories about people surviving in the wild places or surviving in the desert for long periods of time, most of the time our attention and our focus is on them getting out of it. but anyone who is able to make it through has found a way in the midst, even in the midst of the wilderness, to pause and to care for themselves, to pause and care for those who they're coming with and who are with them, who are wounded and in need of care. And even in that, sometimes there's an invitation in the midst of the wilderness to just sit down and be. In fact, they teach you if you ever get lost in the woods, one of the worst things you could do is keep going. Most people get found because they just stay. So the tempter comes to Jesus in the midst of the wilderness. I love Matthew's very apt description. He fasted for 40 days and then he was hungry. <laughs> and when Satan comes to Jesus, he doesn't tempt Jesus with bad ideas. Very rarely does the enemy ever tempt you with really bad ideas. They're ideas that in some ways make sense. In fact, a number of authors and scholars and spiritual writers think that most often, I don't know what, I don't know what your imagination, what form it takes when you think about Jesus in the wilderness, of Satan sort of showing up in red and he's having this conversation with Jesus. There's actually a number of scholars who argue that Satan comes to Jesus as Satan comes to us, sounding like us. Thoughts running through our heads. There's the work of discernment of, okay, is this Holy Spirit? Is this ego? Is this the enemy? That Jesus is spending time in the wilderness actually going, okay, are these thoughts me or are they God or are they something different? Because everything Satan is going to tempt Jesus with Jesus does in his ministry. Everything Satan tempts him with is going to later on take on its own form in what Jesus does. He will feed the masses with bread. 
He will find glory. People will worship him. He will be, at the end of this gospel reading, cared for by the angels. The heart of these temptations is the devil inviting Jesus to shortcut the wilderness, to shortcut the hardships, to shortcut the sufferings, to provide healing, nourishment, to claim authority, all good things, but the the devil tempts him to do it in a bent way. And so Jesus goes about rethinking his thinking. Jesus' temptations here is not temptations to do magic tricks. They are temptations to a way other than God's way. And in Lent, any fasting we do is intended in part to sort of push out our appetites, to reveal where we've attempted our own healing, our own care, our own comfort, our own grasping for authority and control over and against God's healing, God's care, God's rest. Matthew's account ends, when the devil leaves him, the angels come and attended him. Because again, this is one of the things about the enemy. The enemy doesn't care about you. All of the veiled temptations, or sometimes not so veiled, about where you can find comfort, where you can numb, where you can dull the ache and the pain. It'll work for a minute, otherwise it doesn't make sense. But please, beloved, please do not be mistaken. The enemy is hell-bent on destroying you, eviscerating everything. The enemy is no, knows he's lost. He knows he's lost. He, know, he knows. He's not foolish. So he will go about destroying everything while we wait. The devil leaves him and the angels come and attend to him. Now, if you look at your calendar, you'll go, ah, bliss, you can't count, which is true. And you'll go, the season of Lent is actually 46 days, and that is also true. One of the reasons for this is because in the season of Lent, Sundays are always the exception. Because even in the wilderness, there can be feasting. So whatever you fast from, you don't do it on Sundays. We break the fast. We feast together at Christ's table. In the liturgical tradition, every Sunday is a commemoration of the first day of the week, the day of resurrection. And so really, every Sunday is a part of the Easter season. It's the first Sunday of Lent with an asterisk because it's the how many ever thousandth day of Easter. And I think it's important to remember this because it frames out an important aspect of Lent for us. And it's the Dorothy Sayers wisdom that I quote every Lent. I put it in emails, Instagram. I read it to you because I just want to continually hold this before us. Otherwise, this just becomes some weird, what are you giving up? I haven't seen you on social media. So either life's falling apart or it's Lent. Or the algorithm, I don't know. (laughs) She says this, quote, Lent is not intended to be an annual ordeal during which we begrudgingly forego a handful of pleasures. It's meant to be the church's springtime, a time when, out of the darkness of sin's winter, a repentant, empowered people emerges. Put another way, Lent is the season in which we ought to be surprised by joy. Why? 
Because we walk away from those things that have drawn us away from the one we were created for and we return and find a God not going, how dare you walk away? But going, I'm so glad you're back. Our self-sacrifice, as she goes on, serve no purpose unless by laying aside this or that desire, we are able to focus on our heart's deepest longing, unity with Christ. Friends, human life is life in the wilderness. The space between Eden and new creation is really hard. It is filled with a mixture of beauty and deep brutality. But the invitation in Lent is to hear our friend and savior and traveling companion say, life is exhausting, it is tiring, It wears you down and out. Religion burns you out. Life is hard. The season is hard. But my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Friends, the invitation in Lent is an invitation to return. And I think we need to normalize returning. We need to normalize it. One time I heard an older monk when someone asked him the question about distractions in the midst of prayer and he had the most beautiful answer. He goes, oh, wonder what, and I think he may have gotten this from either Teresa of Avila or Julian of Norwich. So if you know, please let me know. Not that I didn't love him, but I wanna give credit where credit's due. But he said, oh, the, the beauty of it is that every single little distraction, when we return our attention to God, we return again to the smiling face of the one in whom we are in union with. And so every wander is an opportunity for a return. And there is grace and there is gift in the return. The season of Lent is a season of returning, of being surprised by a joy that is the deepening of God's life in our life. A joy that does not exist in the absence of wounds, in the absence of difficulty, but in the midst of, alongside our woundedness, our brokenness, and our hurt. I'll close with this. In the opening of his spiritual exercises, St. Ignatius of Loyola captures this, I think, so well. He writes, quote, the goal of our life, I would add Lent, Epiphany, Easter, ordinary time, church, life. The goal of life is to live with God forever. God who loves us, gave us life Our own response of love allows God's life to flow into us without limit. All the things in this world are gifts of God presented to us so that we can know God more easily and make a return of love more readily. As a result, we appreciate and use all these gifts of God insofar as they help us develop as loving persons. What an incredible framework of whether or not I should or should not do something. Will this make me a more loving person? But if any of these gifts become the center of our lives, they displace God and so hinder our growth toward our goal. 
in everyday life then, we must hold ourselves in balance before all of these created gifts insofar as we have had choice and are not bound by some obligation. We should not fix our desires on health or on sickness, wealth or poverty, success or failure, on a long life or a short one. For everything has the potential, everything has the potential of calling forth in us a deeper response to our life in God. Our only desire and our one choice should be this. I want and I choose what better leads to God deepening God's life in me, unquote. Friends, submit to you that the only way we can truly bear the hardness of this life the only way to see through the failure of our attempts to navigate this world through our own projects of happiness is God's life in us. And in doing this, what our souls slowly wake up to is that life is both hard and soft, difficult and easy. There is pain and there is ecstasy. There is bitterness and there is sweetness. And these opposites do not negate each other but actually allow for one another. Beloved, seek joy in God. Seek peace in God. Seek to rest in the good and the true and the beautiful. For it is God inside of you that loves God. And it is God inside of you that will be your resting place. And it is the resting place that will allow us to bear the darkness. Beloved, Christ has died. Christ has risen. And Christ will come again. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.